8.02 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, this hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are just three minutes away from Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own, joining us on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so tonight, to set the stage for what's going on, a lot of NHL action tonight. I know that the season technically began last week when the Preds and the Sharks were in Europe. And I know that there was games last night, the sort of North American kickoff, with the Rangers and the Bolts, followed by the Golden Knights and the Kings. Tonight's the real night that it starts. Let's be honest. Tonight is the night. You've got uh, the two all-Canadian affairs on Sportsnet. Leafs-Habs, followed by, yes, of course, Canucks and Oilers. You've also got Columbus and Carolina, Boston and Washington, Chicago and Colorado, and then Seattle takes on Anaheim in a game that you might want to pay attention to just to see what both teams look like in the Pacific Division. But obviously there's going to be a big focus tonight on the Vancouver Canucks. Jason said at the break that you're going to be paying very close attention to tonight's Canucks game. And I can understand why, not just because you're an ardent Canucks fan. <laughs> you shouldn't make it sound like I rarely do that. This is going to be one of those times where I actually pay attention to see, what's going on. See, Halford wasn't really paying attention to me when I said that. And my point was that I'm going to be able to do that because my house is going to be empty. Tonight. See, I didn't want to bring that part up. I didn't want it to make it sound like there was a glory in being alone for the evening. But uh, I was kind of feeling the same thing about being really dialed into tonight's game. Guys, tonight, I'm. you know what? I'm really going to watch the Canucks game. I'm going to pay attention to all three. I'm not just going to look... Uh, on my phone and see what the score is and then have some hot takes tomorrow. I'm actually going to watch this game. That's my commitment to you, the listener. I'm going to watch all four quarters of the hockey match tonight. That's what I'm going to do. That's my promise to you. All joking aside, though, uh, I know that we've been waiting for this day for a long time, so we might have built it up more than we should. But uh, it's so vitally important, the start of the season. Not just the first game, this road trip. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? Even if it, the result doesn't necessarily go the Canucks way tonight, this is one of those rare times where I'll, I'll lean on a cliche like trust the process or yeah. I want to see the process. I actually do. I want to see, again, I want to see a lot of guys play over their heads, specifically the bottom part of the defense. I want to see this fourth line in what, and, and you know, normally I don't get excited about fourth lines. It's like, whatever. They're out there. They'll do their thing for nine or 10 mm-hmm. minutes a night. But they're all new. But they're all new guys. And I'll be curious to see a lot of different things, how they're deployed, if they have any offensive punch whatsoever, isn't all these it, sorts of things. Isn't it just at the end of the day, you want to be more encouraged than discouraged? Yes, and but there's also the pure curiosity factor, like yeah. neither positive nor negative. I just want to see what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. I want to see what Kuzmenko looks like when a game is uh, out there that matters. Right. Right, I want to see if he's got this offensive ability I want to that see will carry Bruce, over to the regular season. I want to see if Bruce Boudreau trusts him defensively. That's one of the things that he's been talking about. I would like to see all the changes that this coaching staff may or may not have implemented. What is Mike Yo going to bring to the table behind the bench? These are all things that are going to play out tonight. Uh, Andy, do we have Murph on the line? You can talk now. By the way, A-Dog is in a totally different studio, so we can't see our adorable, lovable friend. We just know that he's we back We put there. some newspaper on the floor there and... I've already, I've already had several accidents. So <laughs> I'm glad you did that. <laughs> Thought ahead, which is good. Uh, yeah, Murph is on the line and ready to go. 
Okay, uh, to the phone lines we go. We are joined now by Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Murph? What's going on, fellas? You know what I don't want? What? And this is even, like, and I'm being impartial here. Like, you, you know, you're reporting. You, you have to be impartial. But I hate Edmonton's Goldhorn. No. Oh. I hate it, too. So it's terrible. What? I don't, I'm not familiar with this. It's you obnoxious. Explain. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. Yeah. It's just, it is, it's just like, you know, it's dumb and dumber. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world. It's that bad. <laughs> it's like, shrilly. If it was the Canucks Goldhorn, I would hate it. It's just, it's, it's so bad. It's 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 uh, it it nags almost. It does. Like you, it is almost telling you to like go clean up your room or something like that. Exactly. The, the, the way it sounds. No, yeah. I agree, Murph. So no goals for the Oilers, even though they they will they will. Yeah, but sometimes when the Oilers come out on the ice, I think they hit it too. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Right. Um, yeah. If you besides the Oilers' goal horn, um, if there's one thing that you're focusing on tonight, what would it be? What's top of the list? Well, I mean, are we talking about it, what's the one thing I'm focusing on for the Canucks to have success? Yeah. Or just the one sure. thing I'm most interested in? Well, if the focusing for success is Demko, in my mind. I mean, um, you know, I know the defensive numbers were good under Boudreaux last season, but let's be honest, that was mainly because of the goaltender. And um, I think for this team to have success this evening, and at all this season, uh, once again, the goaltender is going to have to play like one of the top five guys in the league. Uh, I think that's I think that's plain and simple. I, I do think the Canucks will be able to score, but uh, as we know, the defense still has question marks. And uh, I think he is by far their most important player, followed closely probably by Quinn Hughes. So that's that's that. As far as just uh, interest goes. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how Kuzmenko looks, for one. Um, I'm interested to see uh, if the Canucks look like they can keep up at all speed-wise with the Oilers, because that's going to be a very difficult task. And I want to see if Besser uh, is up to speed after, you know, having not played uh, uh, the last uh, few uh, preseason games. Yeah. So there's a few things that I want to see, because... Um, you know, you look at the lineup and it looks, I mean, it looks, it's funny how just inserting one player like Besser makes the lineup look so much better. Uh, but there's still some holes and let's face it, the Oilers are an excellent team. Um, and I think there's a four straight year that the Canucks have opened in Edmonton and they've yet to win one of those games. So, uh, it's going to be a tough out tonight and there's a lot of questions surrounding this Canucks team. Do you think this game has the potential to get a little nasty? I mean, yes. g- games don't really get all that nasty anymore, let's face it. But in, in terms of the, the modern NHL, these teams met during the preseason, didn't seem to care for each other. And it feels to me like the Canucks have been challenged by their coaching staff to stick up for each other a little bit more. I would agree. I think, I mean, first off, I think that third defensive pairing is going to look to cause a ruckus um, when they're on the ice, Burroughs and uh, Stillman. Uh, I think for sure, um, I, I, you know, in the last game in here in the preseason when the Canucks were here, there were a lot of kind of ugly hits and cheap shots. And after the game, both teams said, hey, we know we opened the season against these guys. So we wanted to send a message early. So I, I definitely think uh, there could be some harsh feelings in this one from the very, very early going. Um, and you're right. I mean, I, I think the acquisition of Stillman, uh, you know, I 
you know, he's, he's the kind of the old school tough to play against, right? Um, you know, not the new school where a player's just really good. And that's right. tough to play against. I can't catch you. Um, <laughs> this is tough. <laughs> yes, exactly. But he, <laughs> he's, he's not shy to hit. He's not shy to fight. He's not shy to go out of his way to try to, like, hurt someone with a hit. And I'm not saying illegally, but he'll chase it. Um, so uh, I think that acquisition uh, speaks volumes about what this team felt it needed. Someone texted in, I thought this was a really good um, question here. Can you guys discuss how how Brock Besser is going to score 30-plus if he won't get any power play one time now that Kuzmenko has taken that spot? It's going to be in the conclusion of the texter on sign text, going to be tough to justify his contract. I do wonder about how many opportunities on the power play that – Certain guys will get, like whether it's Brock Besser or Kuzmenko or, or, or Garland, they have a lot of power play talent, but there's only one first unit. And oftentimes that first unit plays like 70%, 75% of the time. It's a, it's a valid question. And I, you know, I, I don't think that he probably can score 30 if he doesn't get some significant power play time. Um, we know that second unit uh, is, you know, more of a shoot first mentality. Uh, when you know, whenever they get out there for the final twenty to forty seconds of a power play, um, but let's be honest here too. Like we don't know how long Kuzmenko will last on that first unit. I think they liked what they saw um, in the preseason. I think he looked like he can handle the net front too, um, and so they're going to give him a look. But you know, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Besser at some point does get reps on that first unit. Um, and you know, not as early as tonight. I think that uh, we have to wait and see just if his hand is, you know, is fully healed. And I, and I have no reason to believe it hasn't. I think he had the same injury on the other hand in college and it, he was back within two to three weeks. Uh, so I intend to ask him about that today when we go to morning skate, but, uh, it's a legitimate question. And, you know, I think, I think that first power play in is a place where Brock Besser wants to be. Um, so if he's not lobbying uh, Bruce behind the scenes, I'm sure he will be if all of a sudden he's not getting any power play time up there at all. We're speaking to Dan Murphy here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Dan is a presentation of Freeway Mazda, Canada's number one consumer-rated Mazda dealer. Murph, uh, we are now into regular season time, and mm-hmm. Bo Horvat does not have a contract extension. How surprised are you that this has now bled into the regular season? I'm not super surprised. Um, you know, I think once the Miller deal was signed, um, Horvats went on the back burner. Um, I, you know, I don't know all the agents, but I do know Pat Morris, and he's not going to make this an easy negotiation. Uh, I don't think there'll be a hometown discount uh, coming, especially not uh, with Miller signing ahead of him. Um, I'm guessing that the Horvat camp felt that they would have been done before. Miller, and now that it's not, I don't think they're probably in a rush to do the Canucks any favors, uh, would be my read. Uh, so I'm not surprised it's not done. I, I think it's going to be a difficult negotiation. Um, I'm not saying it won't get done, uh, but I think the one good thing about this is that the player and Horvat will not allow it to affect his play. Uh, I don't think he'll allow it to be a distraction. I don't know if they'll have to at some point say we won't talk about it anymore. But I just think uh, knowing that player, it's probably one of the best guys on the roster to have this situation because I don't think it's going to be a distraction. He won't allow it to be. Hey, Merv, what do you think about my theory, and this is pure speculation, that the Canucks may be okay slow playing this, heading into the season without 
Horvat locked up long term, if only to provide some sort of insurance against a slow start, like maybe they need to make a big trade or maybe they feel they need to make a big trade if things don't go well to start the season because, you know, trading Miller now, I don't know how possible that is. Um, you know, who, who could... Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, right? Like, uh, who's who could they who could they move and make a real like, hey guys, wake up type of move, but also bring back something significant in return. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean that now he's at the top of the list. I mean, for forever it was Miller, right? The guy we assumed was going to be dealt to uh, kind of fill in some of the holes on the roster. Uh, now Horvat in the final year of his contract at the top of the list. I think Garland would still fit into that camp. Um, as a player, you could move that would uh, attract something, um, but you know I, maybe that's a valid point, Jason. I don't know if that's the reasoning, but I think everything was probably on the table right now. Uh, I think this first road trip is significant, and you know, of course, it, it's first five games of the season. You have to get off a good start after last year, blah blah blah. But I think it's significant in a number of ways. I think it's significant for the head coach. I think it is for a roster composition. It is for future trades and it's not going to be easy i mean edmonton will be very difficult philly is not a great team but a home game early in the season under tortorella they're going to be running around like crazy right Uh, washington's always tough i'm not too sure about columbus but minnesota is very very good this is compared to last year's road trip that they started on which should have been relatively easy overall this is very difficult and um you know i think there's I'm not going to say something's going to be done after five games, but if they get off to a really slow start here, I'll be very interested to see what the temperature is uh, around this club. A lot of familiar faces that are going to be out there tonight. I'm just Garland, Horvat, Pedersen, Hoaglander, Miller, Besser, Pearson, all of them. But that fourth line is comprised of entirely new guys, Dakota Joshua, mm-hmm. Nils, Oman, and Curtis Lazar. Uh, being in and around the rink, have you had a chance to like actually meet these guys and get a sense of their personalities or their excitement level for being on a line altogether? It's a whole new, new look fourth line for the Canucks going into tonight's game against Edmonton. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to Lazar a little bit at in, in Whistler and um, – uh, just his desire to be here, and I think he sought out the Canucks as a landing spot just because of what the team needed, right shot centerman, penalty killer, and he thought it would be a good fit. I haven't spoken to Niels Oman yet, but I will on this road trip. I think it's a little bit easier sometimes when you get on the road to introduce yourself when there's not as many people around. But I've talked to uh, Dakota Joshua as well, and um, you know, I, I think probably that, as we talked about with, with Stillman, uh, this is a player that Canucks want to play a certain way. And, um, you know, if he uh, fails to do that, they'll, I'm sure they'll look elsewhere to fill that fourth line spot. So uh, when you talk about how things can get out of hand, I bet he's got direct marching orders to play to his size. Um, and so I think that, uh, I'm not sure how good the line's going to be, but I think that line for sure will have an identity. Um, and one uh, that I think we all know, we know what it is. Murph, the uh, the most important question of this morning is: Have you met uh, Rip, the guide dog, the puppy? Yeah. Is he a good boy? Does he give kisses? Is he going to travel with the team? Who takes care of him? Is he staying in nice hotels? Is is he going to be comfortable? <laughs> he uh, was at the uh, airport yesterday with one of his litter mates, uh, a little female dog. I can't remember the name, um, and they were yes, they were very cute. I, I like the meme this morning. Uh, Someone um, screen grabbed when Besser was 
holding the puppy up and saying, uh, you're, you're a good looking boy. And someone said, that's what Besser says in the mirror every morning. (laughs) 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 Uh, um, He's not wrong. I mean, I, uh, uh, I've got a soft spot for dogs, as you know, and those dogs were so, so cute and so sweet. I don't know who's taking care of them now. They'll have handlers, I'm sure. Right. Because you have to, for when a guide dog or a, or a service dog for the first year, year and a half, you have handlers that train them and are with them before they give them up to uh, people that need them. So uh, we'll see, you know, if, uh, if Rip passed the test, because as you know, both of my two dogs failed the test and that's why they're now pets. And <laughs> that's why, yeah. Dogs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, final question, non-dog related, as we let you go. Uh, can you give our listeners a sense of what's going to be in store for the broadcast tonight? Because it's a little bit different. It's a, you know, all Canadian doubleheader. It's Wednesday night hockey, Roger Sportsnet. Tell us what we can expect, Murph. Well, you can expect uh, no me and yep. no Shorty and no Cheech. Okay. Those two guys will meet them in Philly. We have the remaining four games on this trip. We will do all four. But tonight it is a Scott Oak hosted production uh, with Louis DeBrusque uh, in the color chair and Hearn Ryan Singh doing the play-by-play. So I will be here in a news capacity. I'm going to walk over and see my fellow uh, Reporter Gene Principe, but uh, neither of us will be on the broadcast tonight. But we will be here for the final four games uh, of this of this road trip. Murph, thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, and I hope we don't hear any Edmonton goal horns. Oh my God, it's terrible. Yes, I agree. All right, <laughs> see you, Murph. You. Yeah, bye. That's uh, Dan Murphy, Sportsnet's very own here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet six fifty. We got a question into the Dunbar Lumber text line after we were talking about number one defenseman and how many there are in the league, how many true number one defensemen there are. Okay, It's a pretty easy question. In your opinion, what makes a D-man a number one defenseman? Um, I mean, first of all, you got the ov- all the obvious stuff. He has to be, you know, good at hockey. That helps. Um, for a true number one defenseman, I-, I think a defenseman needs to be able to play in all situations, power play, PK, um, when you need a goal, he has to be out there. When you need to protect a lead, he needs to be out there as much as he possibly can. Yep. Uh, he needs to be able to log big minutes, 26, 27 minutes a night mm-hmm. occasionally, yep. uh, maybe even more during the playoffs or if you're down a man. But I think beyond that, there's something, there's something subjective that you can't really – well, you need to be offensively gifted now. That's I've, just the modern game. Right, it just is. Right. If you if you let me finish my thought. Yeah. The subjective part would be like, can you control a game? Right? If if a game needs to be slowed down, like it's it's too frenetic or it's too crazy and your team doesn't need that, can you do that? And can you calm a game down? Or if let's say you need a goal or you want to start pushing the pace. I think the best defensemen have that feel for the game where they can push the pace. I first heard that actually from, I think it was from Denny Potvin. And when they were talking about, this is a while back, um, because it was when Jay Bowmeister signed with the Calgary Flames Mm -hmm. out of Florida. Remember the Flames went out and I think they, they sent Florida something just for his UFA negotiating rights and then they signed him. And then there was a big debate, you know, is this guy a true number one defenseman? And Denny Potvin, who'd watched him as the color guy, I know he's not the most popular guy in Vancouver, but whatever, he was a great defenseman, said, you know, I don't know if he is a number one guy because I don't know if he can control the game. Right. And I thought that was a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and it's it's a 
you put it the right way, it's subjective, right? You can't really uh, pinpoint exactly what controlling a game means, but when everybody sees it, they know it, right? I mean, that's kind of the analysis or assessment there. For me now, I mean, the, the biggest change that I've seen since starting working and covering all this stuff and all the different outlets is you can't be an elite NHL defenseman anymore unless you're putting up, honestly, like a minimum of 60 points a season. Yeah, It's crazy. The three guys that finished 1-2-3 in Norris voting last year, Kale McCarr, 86 points, Roman Yossi, 96, Mm -hmm. Victor Hedman, 85. How many did Heiskanen get, though? Well, Heiskanen ended up with 36, and he finished 12th in Norris voting. So I think the problem with looking too much at points is that it's so dependent on your teammate, right? Like, you and I could go out there barely being able to skate and probably pick up some second assists on the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Yeah, but at at the same time, I'm I'm not making the rules. I'm just saying how it's evolved. And I think a lot of it, too... Especially, well, I'm not talking about voting for the Norris. I'm talking about what makes a true. I'm talking one about. I'm talking about a league wide identifier is what like a top uh, a top clear cut number one yeah. guy would be. Because right how now, how many points would Heiskanen have if he played for Colorado? Twenty six, more points. Sixty. Twenty more points. Sixty than minimum. He got last well, season, Devon. Right? Put it this way: Devon Taves was the second leading D man scorer in Colorado, and he had fifty two. Yeah. Right. That's with McCarr getting a lot of like he got to eat mm-hmm. whenever he wanted because he's first unit power play, yeah. you know, out there with the big boys up front. But it's it's just interesting how that dynamic has changed. Like, I mean, Jay Bomeister was never a prolific offensive defenseman. And you talked about Ryan McDonough kind of masquerading as a guy. Is he a number one? Yeah. Top? McDonough was never a prolific offensive guy. Because it's funny, people think that oh, th- there's really old school thinking, like defensemen defend, and mm-hmm. that's what they're supposed to do. But you can actually really dictate the control and tempo of a game by what you do offensively, mm-hmm. the amount of time that you possess the puck, the amount of pressure you put another team under when you're putting pucks in the back of their net. Making the pass out of your own end. Those are all things that the modern defenseman is relied upon and required to do, and mm-hmm. the elite ones, like I said, there's probably only 10 of them. They can, I mean, and that's the bottom line, really. They do it all. Anything you ask them to do, they'll do it. They'll paint your porch. They'll walk your dog. They'll do it yeah. all. That's the number one defenseman. I think another thing that you can have with a number one defenseman is occasionally you compare a third pairing defenseman with that number one defenseman and still call it a first pair. Like what the Canucks are doing. It's been done <laughs> elsewhere though, right? You've had these, re- these really good defensemen and you're kind of like, well, we want to spread the wealth a little bit. We want to have a good second pair. So let's say you've got three good defensemen, right? You might put that number one defenseman on a first pair. Drew, I think this is this happened to Drew Doughty a bunch, yeah. right? Yeah, um, and maybe Duncan Keith when when Seabrook fell off because they still wanted Jalmerson in, in a different. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. But you, you can have that ability where like you make other players better. It's not unlike a a, a really good center. You can have a guy on that line who maybe doesn't belong there by himself, but because you've got such a good player playing center, then that player looks better than he really is. Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, it is going to be what we learn time. Uh, I think that we might have one each, Bruff and I. A dog, you're off the hook today. Know what we learned from you. We're going to try and turn this over to the humanoids as much as possible. So get them in. Hashtag them WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Look, there was not one, not two, not three, but four 
MLB playoff games yesterday. You had to learn something from those. The NHL season started. There was Champions League, if you're into that. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on. You must have learned something, so let us know. Text to the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket, 650-650. Hashtag it, WWL. What we learned are coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Rip, the guide dog, the puppy. Is he a good boy? Does he give kisses? Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Airport. 8.32 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. You can visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. And we're coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. What we learned, time on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Joe Bob is learning that I sound, quote-unquote, unusually nasally today. Uh, Joe Bob, that is the temporary studio setup that we have here at Sportsnet 650. We are in what can only be described as a, well, a room with padded walls. They're all padded. They're meant to record podcasts. I don't know if it works that well for live recordings because Jason and I seem to pick up a lot of echoey nature on each other's microphones. We apologize for the radio quality. We are trying our best, but I'm not sick. I'm not unusually nasally, uh, but I will drink some hot tea as per your request. That's I think I'm about. starting to make more old man sounds. A lot like of just groaning. kind of like, like, like sniff. And every time I get out of a chair or into a chair, there is a sound. Yeah, there is. Uh, whether it's me like, oh, or like uh, my knee cracking or something mm-hmm. like that. There's definitely an old man sound. Yeah. Soon you, know? you will develop an old man smell, mm, which is a yeah. combination of stale coffee, old spice, and then whatever else you've done that day. Right. Right. And it just kind of sticks with you, right? Now, in the summers, you have to include the sweet, sweet musk of mowed lawn. Mm-hmm. That also I like gets that, on though. there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but you know, every, does everyone know what old man's smell is? <laughs> <laughs> you do right. I don't need to explain it any further. It's like a number one defenseman. You just yeah. know it when you, you just kind of know it. it. Yeah. Just know it when you smell it. Okay, uh, let's do our what we learns. I think I, I kind of want to start here because uh, I'm actually learning about a guy who just got really rich. His name is Matthias Samuelson. His job is to play defense for the Buffalo Sabers, and he just signed a seven year. $30 million extension. Now, I looked at this. I'm like, hmm. I don't really know who this person is. <laughs> it seems as though a seven-year commitment for $30 million is the kind of thing you give to someone that's a little more well-known. So I started digging in. He was the 32nd overall pick at the 2018 draft, five spots ahead of uh, Jet Wu. He's played 54, count them, 54 NHL games. Over the course of two seasons, he split last year between Rochester and Buffalo. He's never scored a goal in the NHL, but he just signed a seven-year deal worth $30 million. This is the ultimate speculators. Speculators, is that the right word? Sure. If you pronounce it well. Speculators. (laughs) Spec. Anyway, this is a big... Speculatory bet. Thank you. Speculatory bet. On a guy that 
has potential. Mm-hmm. As I've said, he's six foot four, two hundred and seventeen pounds. They obviously like what they saw in a small sample size, yeah. but I'll reiterate this is a very small sample size, Jason. But let's say he pans out, then you've got a a good player, young player in his prime, cap hit of four point three million dollars. Not this season, because he's he's actually this season is the last year of his ELC. I think more teams should attempt this. I guess the uh, concern some, some, some well, there's obvious concerns, right? There's obvious concerns when when you do something like this with a player. You have to be absolutely sure that the player can play in the NHL. First of all, that's a big thing. Um, but also that he's going to remain motivated. He's going to remain a little bit. Um, he won't get too comfortable. Um, and also. <laughs> And also, it's just just one of these things. Like you, you just have to be sure of it. Because the you know? Pittsburgh Penguins, we speak about Jim Rutherford all the time, having done this almost exact same thing mm-hmm. with John Marino, right? And they saw was it right out of his ELC though, or did he have a little bit more experience? He had a little bit more experience just in terms of life because he mm-hmm. spent longer in um, college, right? He was right. a Harvard guy. Yeah. The thing is, I this is a byproduct of a system hard cap. And such a need and value for defensemen that I think at times you almost have to make these bets because the system doesn't allow you to do anything else. If this, let's say that Samuelson, who by the way is the son of former defenseman Shell Samuelson, right? Let's say he pans out and becomes a, a real quality top four guy in the NHL, which mm-hmm. is probably his ceiling. Sure. At the, second pair guy, yeah. At the at the at the price tag you got him at now, that's going to be a steal down the road. Mm-hmm. Plus, you got to re-sign Rasmus Dahlin. You've got Owen Power that might need a big contract if you choose to give Owen Power a big contract out of ELC. This to me just seems like a bet to save money in the future. But it seems like a bet that you're almost forced to take because of the market circumstance. <laughs> like the guys played 54 games in the NHL. And he's making $30 million. You know you know what the funny thing is? I'd actually wonder if I was a GM sometimes. I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to be satisfied with this? Because in some ways, or in a lot of ways, there's a potential that Samuelson could be leaving a lot of money on the table That's by signing away it. his totally five years for $4 million. So you're like, wait a minute. You're not going to get really fat after this, are you? Remember when Duncan <laughs> Keith signed his contract? It was a great deal for him. He made $55 million, right? It wasn't a great deal for him. At man. the time, it was, it was a great worst At the time, deal. Uh, you're wrong. At the time, everyone said, that is awesome. He just made $55 million. How long did it take for that to be what many considered to be the most egregious contract in the NHL in terms yeah. of a guy getting compensated? Especially with escrow? Yeah. Eating, eating that thing up? But here's the thing. If you're Matthias Samuelson, you're looking at it and you're like, oh my God, I got drafted four years ago. I barely played in the NHL. Now I'm going to have $30 million. He could have very well just made more money than his dad has ever made in the NHL. Sure. Right? Now, the other part of it that you bring up. He also could have left a lot on the table. The other part of it that you bring up, and I think it's a very, very valid one, is full bellies making gentle manners. I used this line yesterday. Mm -hmm. A pinch of famine is always good because the desperation factor. I I mean, what's what's the motivation aside from having a personal obligation to be the best player you can be because it's going to be tough to have any sort of expectation you're not you're never going to be in a contract here at least not for seven years yeah. you're not even going to go through 
where you know club like club like salary arbitration or being held under over the barrel because mm-hmm. you're an RFA. You've made your money. I think it, I, I don't hate it. James and Vernon makes the point that's what Anthopoulos is doing with the Braves. Yes, that is what he's doing right? with the Braves. And they're winning. But I He's just right. don't know how good the Samuelson kid is. Well, I also right. would argue that the biggest difference between what Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves are doing is that they're not in a hard cap league. Right? Yeah. If it doesn't work out, you can you know chalk the mistake off the books. If Samuelson doesn't work out, he becomes a bad contract. And then where do you unload? Like, look how much trouble Pittsburgh had, I presume, trying to move Marino because he was in trade talks really for the better part of the last year. Anyway, Mukow all that. Andy, Mukow it. Do you want to do one or do you want to turn it to the... Uh... Let's go to the listeners. Okay. Uh, I was going to do a boring one about the Washington Commanders and Carson Wentz. Suffice to say, things are not going well. Not so good. Between Carson Wentz and the Washington Commanders. What does go well for the Washington Commanders? Uh, Football-related you know, I, d- I didn't like their old name. I don't like their, their, their new name. It's shocking that the Carson Wentz thing didn't work out. I had such high hopes. Yeah, all these teams going to you know um, quarterbacks that uh, didn't pan out. In for other teams, yeah, you don't go I mean, shopping Carson in Wentz the recycling. Pa- He's a weird one, right? Because he played at such a high level for what one season? Yeah, and then it's been a steady decline ever since then. Do you, you don't go when, shopping in the recycling bin. You do, don't. Do you remember when we went to Philly to watch the Seahawks Eagles game and how bad he was? That was one of his last hurrahs with the, with the Eagles. Kyle and Maple Ridge. That's when we still love Russ. Kyle and yeah. Maple Ridge. What we learned: the Mariners actually have a legitimate shot at winning this series. Kyle, did you miss the game yesterday? Because you might, if you turned it off in like the seventh inning, uh, I have some bad news for you. Because what Mike and I were concluding this morning was that the Mariners might have blown their best chance of winning the series by losing that game. They got to Justin Verlander. They had a 7-2 lead on the road, and they lost the game. Verlander yesterday gave up 10 hits and 6 runs. Those are both career postseason highs. The Mariners did to Justin Verlander what he's never allowed in the postseason. Again, you cannot expect to get a better opportunity on the road to steal a series than that. That was totally unexpected. And they blew it. They had a 7-2 lead. They absolutely blew it. I'm with you. Suggesting that they're going to be the Astros three out of the next four seems like a Herculean task Mm -hmm. and a bridge too far. It's too bad. Uh, I got one here. Prove me wrong, Mariners. Go. Uh, This is Big AM, the keep. I think it's a soccer goalie, maybe. Uh, hashtag WWL, what we learned. Juventus may be on their, we, uh, on their way to the Europa League. Did you see this yesterday? They, they lost to uh, the team from Israel, right? Maccabi Haifa, right. the Israeli Premier League champs. Mm-hmm. In Champions League, uh, Maccabi Haifa's first Champions League win in 20 years, and it comes against a historic side like Juventus. Right. Not good for Juve. It's a bit of bad how are, how are Juve doing in uh, Serie A? Terribly. They're eight. Terribly? They're, ta- they're, they're having an awful year. They're besieged by injury. Uh, Di Maria got hurt yesterday as well. That's not going to help. And they are a mess. They kind of stood by the gaffer, Allegri, the other day. But I got to imagine that if they continue to sink the way that they are, it'll be an inevitability because it's European football, and that's what you do. You sack the gaffer. couple of Robbie Ray... Uh, what we learned, and they're both kind of similar. Josh in his video van, what I learned is that Robert Ray, Robbie Ray, should yeah. not pitch again this postseason. Grow up and sit those tight pants down. <laughs> uh, unsigned, what we learned, Gosman is still out pitching old tight pants, Mr. Robbie Ray. Uh, yeah, I guess Robbie Ray is uh, known for his tight pants. Yeah. And also that meatball. 
that he served up to Alvarez yesterday. I, I know I've said meatball approximately 100 times on the show, but I still, like, I can't believe, like, Alvarez's eyes must have lit up when he saw that. He was like, do you think that pitch was halfway to him? He's like, the game is over. Um, I just, I, you look, I know I shouldn't make this joke because I already know what the responses are going to be, but I don't care because it was funny. Someone that, it was uh, one of the guys on Twitter yesterday in response to this, Robbie Ray did his own research on how best to pitch to Jordan Alvarez. Right. That one made me laugh. Yeah. That was funny. That's mm-hmm. funny. I don't care what side of the spectrum you're on. That's funny. You got to appreciate good humor. I like this one from Kevin on the road. What we learned for a birthday gift, my wife asked my kids not to make daddy mad for the entire day yesterday. It lasted all of 30 minutes. But what a 30 minutes, right? Dad, daddy drinks because you cry. There's a reason that's out there. Uh, (laughs) Jackson from Campbell River. What we learned, Vegas has a legitimate starter with Thompson. I'm starting to feel nervous for the Canucks playoff spot. Was Logan Thompson so good last night? No, I don't know what you saw last night. Wow. He's going to win the Vesna. He made 27 saves um, on 30 shots. He was fine, but I actually framed it as those kind of games – are what Vegas might have to do where they egregiously outshoot the opponent but have to give you four goals of offense because your goalie allows three. This one is from Spence in Maple Ridge. I was watching this game last night, so I can appreciate this. Hashtag WWO, what we learned. I learned last night that the Dodgers and Los Angeles Kings organist Dieter Rule is a national treasure. Quick sample of his work. Chris Martin recorded an out in the ninth, and Dieter played cold play. Now, the course, this the the... Connection here is that Chris Martin is also the name of the lead singer of Coldplay. I was listening to this, and without a beat, Martin comes in for the save, first out, and this beautiful, majestic organ breaks out into Coldplay. Which song? Uh, God, I can't remember the song. If you heard it, you would know Because I know it. You're, you're a huge fan. I'm not a huge Coldplay fan. <laughs> Is that the one that men have married Gwyneth Paltrow, right? That guy? That's what it? Fix You was about. I think it was Fix You. Okay. But I'm not sure. But I actually kind of like that when the Habs had that as their song. Yeah. It like, don't get me wrong. Everyone knows Coldplay songs when they hear them, and they're catchy, yeah. and everyone's like, oh, I know that song. I secretly like this. Yes, quiet now, but I want to listen to this. He's playing it on the organ. <laughs> it was actually really good. And I know that he's the organist for the Kings as well. I, I, so shout out to Dieter Rule, the number one organist in sports. And if Andy is doing his job, maybe he'll find something. Uh, you know what? I, it's not Adog's fault. Hard? I tried to look for it as well. Oh, okay. Uh, what we learned. Oh, with- the song is Clocks. Someone just texted me. My buddy Chez just texted okay. me. The song that he played was Clocks. Chez Did you big- look at your phone initially and be like, what? You texted me. Oh, clo- Clocks. Clocks, yeah. Um, he's a big, Chez is a big Padres fan. He was okay. bitterly disappointed in that game last night. Uh, what, haven't the Dodgers absolutely owned the Padres during the regular 16 season? 16 and 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like Blue four. Jays over the Red Sox levels in terms of run differential. Too. The Dodgers in that game last night did not get a hit after the third inning, and they still won. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what we learned with Stillman and Burroughs starting the season over Rathbones, Rathbone, it seems the boner, are nice. we calling him that? I liked it. Is dangerously close to falling into Jet Wu territory. Okay, come on. 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 Listen, we listen. We love a house of negativity text more than anyone. That is overreacting. Yes. Okay? Yes, it is. Jet Wu has never even showed that he can really come close to playing in the NHL. No. There have been moments from Jack Rathbone where he did look like an NHL defenseman. 
We also have to remember that ja- uh, that Jack Rathbone really he just hasn't played many games. Go look at his hockey DB profile. The guy barely played in college. How many full seasons did he have at Harvard? Two. Then Rathbone, he came to the yeah. yeah. Then he came to the AHL and you know he played a lot last season. But it, so much has been affected by COVID for Jack Rathbone, mm-hmm. and also the fact that. Um, he played. He was playing like high school hockey when he could have been at Harvard. Yeah. It, it, he he needs. I still have some hope for Jack Rathbone. I do question whether Bruce Boudreaux or maybe this new management group just doesn't dig what Jack Rathbone brings. Maybe they want to have a dip, a bit of a different look on the blue line. Maybe they want um, some more size and some more toughness. Maybe they look at this blue line and go, you know, we got, we got Quinn Hughes out there and he's going to play almost half the game. I would like to have more size and toughness to fill out the rest of the blue line. Who knows? Maybe they see Jack Rathbone as a potential guy that they could use in a trade. Maybe like to, to me, Rathbone and Hoaglander are similar in that you see the potential in those guys, but you also wonder if they're ever going to make it. Uh, also, Rathbone's nickname is J-Bone. I think we established this already. Remember we had him on the show, and I asked him if he wanted to be known as J-Bone? And he's like, please stop talking to me. And then the interview ended. Kevin, the fake doctor, hashtag WWO, what we learned. You guys, I guess that means me and Bruff, you guys have turned me into a more spiteful sports fan. Oh, good. I couldn't help but see Mike dancing on the Blue Jays' graves, Halford's face on the ball as it was shot into the Gulf of Mexico by Jordan Alvarez <laughs> last night. You made me Astros fans last night, and for that, I will never forget you. Just kidding. I'll be listening all day. That hey, ball was hit so hard that it brought Enron out of bankruptcy, and it is now Enron Field. They were again. all clutching onto it. Like, this ride this rocket ship to the moon. I, I can't. Look, I think one thing that you and I have done throughout the course of being on the radio is leaning into the sports fans' experience, good, bad, and otherwise. And part of it is having the self-actualization and realization to know that sometimes, as a sports fan, you take pleasure in other people's pain. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything immoral or weird about it. I like watching other people lose. I do. I've been very much enjoying this Russell Wilson season. Yeah, and so I felt bad for the Mariners yesterday. I would have liked them to win that game. Mm-hmm. But when I watched Robbie Ray roll up there, and I was like, this is a chance to pile on Ray. It's a chance to pile on service. I mean, they made it was a bad choice, right? Am I a hater? Possibly. I didn't enjoy any of that, actually, to be perfectly honest with you. I kind of sneaky enjoyed the Blue Jays collapse because it was a Toronto thing. And also it was the Mariners that did that to them. And Mariners fans have suffered so much over the past couple of decades that I was happy for them as well. I was not happy at all. Here's where that, I'll, that here's what I'll I didn't, say. I didn't get any, like, and this is me, right? Like, who normally looks for the the bitterness in anything I look for, right? Um, I was not happy at all. And I think the main part of it was, well, it was Mariners. Like, I'm cheering. I'm on the Mariners bandwagon right now. Um, I also don't want Astros fans to be happy. Screw those guys. Here's the thing, though. Uh, when you do this long enough, and all of us are at the age now, right? Or majority of us that are in your 40s, maybe in your 50s, you've watched a lot of sports. Sometimes it can be repetitive. Sometimes you see the same thing over and over again. When something new or something that I haven't seen before happens, I almost have to make that the precedent. For example, one of the worst moments as me growing up as a kid was when Kirk Gibson in the 88 World Series 
went yard to win against Dennis Eckersley, right? It took damn near 30 years yeah. for something to supersede that. And I got to see it last night. So, mm-hmm. yes, it was terrible for Mariners fans, and I do feel bad the for Gi- all of you. The Gibson homer was way more magical than that, though. Well, that one was, was more rare. It was in the World Series. Gibson had been yeah, yeah. hurt. Yeah, but he was, like, won. limping. It was against Eckersley, who was, like, completely unhittable. Hey, uh, that was in, that was an incredible moment. The fact that this is even in the conversation with Gibby's home run is worth mentioning. Well, because you put it in the conversation. It's in the conversation. Do people call him Gibby? Uh, I do. Yeah, I think I feel Gibby like our is the former Blue Jays manager Gibby. John, no way that John Gibson. If your surname He's is Gibby, though, who's the more because they called him Gibby? Who's the better Gibby, Kirk or John? Well, you have to be called Gibby in order to have this conversation. Answer the question. <laughs> I'm not because it's a disingenuous entrapment question. Did you see the kid crying in Houston? Tears of joy. No, no, at no, the you, end, did, it was tears of sadness. So, but you saw him, and, yeah. And I feel bad because I laughed out loud when I saw. It. I was like, "Ah, <laughs> look at him crying." It's only game ah, one. You're of weak. The, it's only game one of the ALDS. Calm your, down. Your dad should bring you out of there. Yeah. Are you crying because Houston is not cheating hard enough? Uh, and then I, I enjoyed the camera going back to him, and he was kind of like, uh, "I mean, he was celebrating at the end." I was, I was happy for the kid. Yeah. Well, I wasn't. You know what? Screw him. Uh, Gunner from Kelowna. Uh, appropriate name given this text. Hashtag WWL what we learned. I learned not to speed listening to your show. I'm driving from Kelowna to Vancouver. Pulled over uh, doing 130 and 110 zone. And the excuse of listening to Halford and Bruff didn't cut it. You might say Gunner was gunning it on his way down from Kelowna. What could possibly, terrible, but what could possibly be the excuse that you're listening to Halford and Bruff? Like, I can understand maybe you wanted to drive off the road. <laughs> What were the like co- I was what trying to get the say? speed up before I yeah. drove off the road. The cop's like, you were listening to those two? You poor, poor man. The cop actually increased the ticket price. <laughs> like, we're charging you more now. I like this one from... Noise Matt, pollution. Matt Nabby, what we learned. The King's chrome helmets look like they're trying to prevent aliens from stealing their thoughts. Yeah, they do have that tin hat, tinfoil hat feel to them. I don't like them. No. Um, and nothing anyone can say. Like, you can call me an old man. You can say that I hate fun. Uh, I don't like them. I think they look stupid. I have come around to unusual uniforms in the past. Mm-hmm. I remember when the Seahawks first came out with all the neon green. I was kind of like, this isn't for me. Um, but I kind of got into that. I will never get into those chrome helmets uh, ever. and you mentioned the vegas golden knights mustard slash gold uniforms that you didn't care for either someone texted her in earlier can confirm those are now their primary jerseys no longer the thirds so you're going to be seeing a lot of gold mustard to this season jason a lot of gold mustard gross uh we got to go out of here the playoffs, yeah then. no kidding we got to get out of here for today but we will be back tomorrow. Uh, signing off. Thank you all for listening. Come on, Canucks. Let's start, start well, please, please, please. Let's go. I'm begging you. Signing off. I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. A dog's been over there somewhere. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.